Turn to your neighbor and say, you sounded good today. Come on, let them know. They sounded good today. Man, I tell you, there's a spirit of worship in the room. It's so excited when we feel that. Hey, everybody, can you say hi to everybody in the lobby for us? Come on. Hi, lobby. Man, we're so pumped. Today is Memorial Day weekend. I feel like the summer has begun. Who's excited this Memorial Day weekend? Come on. Pools are opening up. Summer plans, barbecues. Listen, I don't have any plans, or maybe I do. I don't remember. So if you have a barbecue that you want to invite me to, let me know. Well, listen, I really do believe that this summer, this is like the start of the summer. We have some exciting things going on this summer. And um, in fact, if you don't know, First Wednesday is coming. It's not this week. It kind of feels like it should be. It's next week, and we're going to have our choir with us. So First Wednesday is going to be incredible. We also have VBS in the month of June, morning and night. Come on. And so we have VBS in the morning. We've never done this before. First time. It's already filled up. And then we're doing a VBS in the evening. And so we'd love to have anybody who wants to be a part of that. It's filling up fast. And then we got Motion Conference in July. Where's my students at? Come on, students. Motion Conference. We're so excited. This is the second time we're doing this. It's, it's, it's an incredible time. If you want to be a part serving, and you can um, RSVP and register for that. I kind of equate it to youth camp, all right? Anybody, who are the older people in the room that know about youth camp? Come on. This is like youth camp for our students, except they won't be sleeping here, okay? And, but it's an incredible time. I'll tell you, I know about youth camp when I was a kid, just um, even in my own life, just God doing some incredible things, calling the ministry in my life, friends that got saved, youth camp, motion conference is going to be incredible. And then, honestly, there's so many things. I'm not, I know I'm not hitting a lot. We have fireworks on, four, on the 5th of July, first Wednesday in July. And so if you've been a part of that in the past, you got to come. It's going to be incredible. We're going to just fill this whole entire property up with people, shoot off some fireworks. And then we're going to end the summer in one of my favorite ways as a church that we end the summer, and that is with 21 days of prayer. And I'll tell you, if you've not been a part of 21 days of prayer, you need to be a part of it. It's so incredible. It really marks our church for the new season of what God's going to do. We pray for a lot of things during the month of August, and God answers those prayer later in the fall, in the beginning of the year. We have a lot of really exciting things that are happening in our church. 21 days of prayer is coming. And I want to just celebrate one last thing before we jump in. Is that okay if we celebrate one last thing? Because last week, we had our Chapel in Espanol launch. Come on, everybody. I'll show you a picture. This is a picture of some of the team. Look how amazing this team is right here. And, man, they had record attendance that Sunday. We had such an incredible time. It was a great celebration. God is doing a new thing. How many know that? Come on, he's doing a new thing. And we get to be a part of him advancing his kingdom into the Latino communities. And it's incredible if you ever want to go there. In fact, we have one of our team members that's going to be there today. She's going to be preaching over there. And so if you ever want to go, it's 1115. It's an incredible service. But can we honor? Everybody who served, come on, Chapel on Espanol team. I know some of you come to this service. Go to the next. Well, hey, today we're going to get a chance to continue in our series, Power for Today. I don't know about you, but I've enjoyed this series on the book of Acts. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit, and i got to tell you, I am so thankful as a church that we get a chance to hear from our lead pastor, Pastor Brandon. He's been preaching an incredible series. It's been phenomenal, and he's been preaching about the Holy Spirit, which I know at times can be a topic that's not always talked about, but it's been done so well. If you haven't heard, you can listen back. Last week was incredible. Week before, week after week, Power of Your Spirit's been amazing. 
amazing. But I'll tell you this. Not only does Pastor Brandon preach this word, he lives this word. He's a spirit-filled leader. He loves the Lord with all of his heart. Leads by the spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. Come on, can we honor our pastor and thank him so much the way that he leads? Well, hey, today, if you want to open up your Bibles, we're going to look into the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16. And today I get to talk about the power of praise. Come on. I got any worshipers in the room, people that love to worship. Come on. Amen. In fact, I want to just take a second before we dive in. I know you're turning there in your, in your Bibles, but we have such an incredible worship team that week in, week out, Sunday morning, we have a team. Sunday night's a different team. First Wednesday, different team. There's motion night that happens on the second Wednesday of the month. First Wednesday, all the things that we do. We have an incredible worship team. And let me tell you, they come fired up. They come filled up, ready to pour out and just honor God in this house. And you even felt it this morning. Such a great spirit. And so today, I'm really excited to talk about worship, talk about prayer because this is a big part of our church. And so if you're here, you're brand new to the chapel, we welcome you. We want you to know we're a community that loves to go after the heart of God. We say this a lot. We are a presence-driven church, and that's because we don't want to do this without his presence. How many know we can't live our life without his spirit? We can't live our life without his power. We can't live our life without his presence. So don't let the enemy get it twisted in your minds. You cannot do this life without him. And God has sent this gift that is the Holy Spirit that will transform your life. In fact, we're going to look at the life of Paul and Silas as they're in jail. That's the passage we're going to look at today. And they're in chains, and, and they're in a situation they never thought they'd find themselves in, but they lift their hands, and they begin to praise. And God does something miraculous in their life. And all through the book of Acts, you see the Holy Spirit moving and working. But as we jump into it, I want to just give you some context about this person, Paul, we talk about. He actually has written probably 70% or so of the New Testament. Most of the books that we read are about this, are written by, or translated, or transcribed by Paul. But if you ever look at Paul, the first time you see him on the scene in the Bible is actually early on in the book of Acts, and his name was Saul. And he actually was a persecutor of Christians. Think about his story for a second. Think about your own story. Saul is a story of somebody who was so far from God that you would think he could never be brought back. And as he's persecuting Christians, going from town to town, you see him on the scene holding the coats of those who are going to stone Stephen, the first ever martyr. It fuels his rage to persecute the church, and he's doing it. In fact, historians say that thousands upon thousands of Christians, persecutions, and killings were all mandated by this guy named Saul. He's on the road to Damascus one day, and then all of a sudden, he gets knocked off his horse by the presence of God. He hears this voice that says, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who is this? He says, it's Jesus, the one that you're persecuting. And in that moment, he goes blind, and he goes into a house for about three days, and God speaks to one of the disciples named Ananias, and he says to him, hey, I want you to go to Saul's house, and I want you to lay hands on him because he's going to see again. And Ananias says, say that again? He's like, who, where am I going? To whose house? He's like, do you know this is like the number one ISIS leader of the church, like the terrorist of the church? Like, I'm not going over there. He goes, no, I want you to go. He's your brother. You're going to lay hands on him. He's going to see again. He's going to need to know how he's going to suffer for me and how he's going to speak to kings and leaders and all that he's going to do in my name. Ananias goes to the house. He lays hands on Saul. Saul sees again. He has this radical transformation. His life is totally turned around. How many know that one encounter with Jesus changes everything in our life? Amen? 
Then Paul begins to teach and preach, and people find out that Saul is now the guy who was once persecuting, and now he's teaching. And so people get mad, and they start pursuing him, threats on his life. And he goes to Jerusalem where all the other disciples are, but none of them want anything to do. This is all in the book of Acts. I'm leading you up to chapter 16. None of the disciples want anything to do with them, but Barnabas comes, puts his shoulder on him, and says, I'll take him on. And then in the book of Acts, you see Saul and Barnabas went here. Saul and Barnabas went there. And then finally, there's this name change. No longer is his name Saul. His name is Paul. And it says, Paul and Barnabas go here and they go there. They're establishing churches. And they're, and they're, and they're building churches in the community. And then all of a sudden, what happens is, is Barnabas takes John Mark. He goes in one direction. Mark is actually the guy who wrote the gospel of Mark. And, and Paul takes Silas, and he takes Luke, the writer of Acts, and Timothy, and they go on their journey. And so here we are. We're in the story. They're in Philippi. Paul has this season now, years under his belt of ministering in the gospel, and Silas is with him. And they come, and they're proclaiming the gospel. And I'll tell you this, it fires up the enemy. And then there's this demon-possessed girl who comes on the scene. And here we are in Acts chapter 16. Luke says, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. And finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and he said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. And when the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Think about this. Paul, this once persecutor of Christians, had a radical transformation. He's pursuing the things of God. And in a moment, he casts this demon out of a girl. She is set free, totally different, spirit-filled now. And now everybody is mad. And God does some miraculous things in their life. We're going to look into it. But before we do, I'd love to pray together. Would you pray over the word of God with me today? Let's do that. God, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. It's a lamp into our feet. It's a a light into our path, God. Your word is the self-revelation of who you are, God. Without it, we don't know you, but with it, God, we can continually discover the fullness of God that's available for us every day. We love you, Jesus. Pray over this word today as we talk about the power of praise. We ask this in your name. Amen. So here's the situation that they're in. You got these, these business owners that are very wealthy, and now they're mad, right? And so I think it's important to understand, okay, why are these business owners mad? You would think it's because there's a loss of money. But really, I think the anger that they have towards these men is not just for that. You see, these businessmen knew magistrates. They knew judges. They kind of grew up in the area. They knew everybody. So they called on to them. And they said, hey, listen, we need to do something about these men because they're Christ followers, because they're Jews. And so they call them in, and it says here in Acts, it says that the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and to be beaten. But here's what I want you to catch. This is a big problem. Here's why. Paul and Silas are actually Roman citizens. And so this was not okay to do. 
Because back then, historians would let you know that if you were a Roman citizen, you had to be tried first. But you see, they were so upset about what was happening with these men and how people were being set free. People were coming to know God. People were learning about the gospel. There was chains falling off in people's lives. This this slave girl that was demonically um, um, possessed was making money for them. All this was happening. They got so mad that they skipped the order of the judicial system. And there was an injustice that Paul and Silas find themselves in. They should have been tried in this moment, but they weren't tried. And so I'm not sure if you've ever imagined what this beating may be like. I know a lot of times in Scripture we can read, especially in Acts and in Corinthians, Paul talks about it. You can read about how somebody was in prison or, or somebody was beaten, and then you just move on to the next thing. But I don't know if you understand what this is like, and I want to just paint a little picture today of what this was. But, but they're talking about a person who would be stripped completely of their clothes, And their clothes would be torn to pieces. This would be very humiliating for these men. They'd be practically naked in front of a crowd of people. They would bind their hands and their feet, and they would be hung typically by their feet, and there would be rods that they would use to beat them with these rods. In fact, there'd be multiple people that would actually do the beating of Paul and Silas. It wouldn't just be one. It would be multiples. And when you were beaten with rods, historians say that it typically broke not just one rib, but it would actually break all of your ribs. There'd be fractured bones, there'd be arms that were broken, legs that were broken. And at times they would purposefully try to break the bones in the feet so that the people couldn't stand. And so this, in this horrific beating, my guess is this could have been probably one of Paul's worst beatings that he would ever have experienced in his journeys. And the truth is this, they did not expect this at all. They walked into Rome saying, we got the favor of God because we're Roman citizens. If anything happens to us, maybe we'll get a slap on the wrist. Maybe we'll be told to leave town. But they find themselves in a situation where they're getting beat down. Not only were they beaten, it says, after, then they were severely flogged. Not only were they beaten with rods, now they're flogged. And the flogging was a horrific thing. This is what happens before they even get into jail. They would be hung up by their hands, and they would be whipped with what some historians call the cat of nine tails. It was these, this whip that had on the end of these straps, these shards of metal, this, these, this glass, and it was designed to literally just shred the flesh, to rip it completely off. It was designed really just to mess you up. And you find all through history, even with the, with the crucifixion that happened with Jesus, is that Romans were excellent executors. And they were so good at it that they know how to beat you so well that you would still be alive. But the purpose of it was to send a message to everybody else to say, don't mess with us. And you see this in the life of Jesus and you even see this in the studying of crucifixions. They were beat down and they were flogged. And here what it says here is that they were then thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and he fastened their feet Not only are they beat down, now they're in the inner cell of the prison. It's dark. There's no fresh air. They can barely breathe. It says that there's these stalks. They would put them in these chains, and it was in such a way where their feet weren't straight. It was kind of like diagonal, like this, like they were spread out, and they couldn't move. They're beat down. They're broken. And so you may ask the question, okay, why are you telling me this, right? I know this could be a little graphic. I know it could be a little intense. But the truth is, is most of us, when we read Acts 16, we don't think about it this way. 
In fact, if you were raised in church, you had the little flannel graph, right, on the Sunday school board of, 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 the, of Paul and Silas kind of looking like Puritans and Puritan stocks, right? And they're standing and their hands are up and they're rejoicing. But the truth is this, is that these men found themselves in a situation that they had never planned for. And this part of their story truly helps us understand the importance, the significance, and the enormity of how they responded to a desperate situation. In fact, this is what it says in Acts 16. They were beaten, they were bruised, they were in an inner cell, and it says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and they were singing hymns to God. We all know a lot goes down at midnight. You know, the older you get, the more you recognize that when stuff goes down at midnight, it's got to be bad. Midnight is a tough time. And these guys don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. They don't know what's about to come. They're beaten beyond belief, beyond recognition. They've been whipped and flogged. The scriptures tell you about it. They go through detail about it. They're in an inner cell. They have no idea what, if it's day or not day. They don't know what's taking place. And what do they do? They lift up their hands and they worship. You know, when I look through all the scriptures, I love this word hymns because you look through different translations and it, it always, most of the time is translated as hymns. How many know there's nothing like the hymns? Come on. Or my people in the, in the room that grew up in a church that sing some good hymns, right? I remember as a kid going to my grandparents' house. Now listen, I love the songs that we sing, but there's nothing like the hymns. And I remember going to my grandma's house, and she would take me to church, and we'd sit on that front row, right? I called her Nana, and Nana would take me up to the front, and she would just be lifting her hands, and she'd be worshiping, and I'd be there with her the whole entire time, right? And she would be praising Jesus, and she loved to sing the hymns. And you know, my grandmother had been through so many things in her life. She had lost a son at seven years old to cancer. She knew what it was like to live through the Great Depression. I mean, she had a lot of reasons not to lift her hands, but man, every single Sunday, faithfully, she would sing those hymns. You know, I know that you got some favorite songs that you would sing, and even some times when you're feeling down, and you're like, man, I want to worship and sing. And one of the songs my grandmother loved to sing was, Oh, How I Love Jesus. I can still hear her singing, Oh, how I love Jesus. And oh, how I love Jesus. And oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. You know, another one of the songs that she loved to sing was Blessed Assurance. I can even hear the disciples. Maybe they didn't know the song, but I can hear them singing. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. And this is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Amen. They sat in that cell and they praised and they worshiped at midnight when it was dark. They had no idea what the future would hold, but they chose to worship. And all of us have experienced midnight moments, haven't we? Maybe the loss of loved ones unexpectedly. News about a diagnosis that we never anticipated we'd ever have. Relationships that have been broken and we don't know how to mend. Maybe addictions that we've tried to overcome but we haven't been able to overcome. Maybe rejection in our life. Whatever it is, we all know what these midnight moments are like. And some of us, maybe even in the room right now, are at our own midnight moment. 
It's dark. It's unfair. You can't move. You don't know where to turn. And if your body isn't hurting, right, your heart is because it's midnight. And let me just say this to you. God is so present in the midnight moments of our life. David says in Psalms 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. In those moments, he says that you would prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It's his table of nourishment. It's his table of worship. And what Paul and Silas decide to do is in the shadow of the valley of death, they lift their hands and they worship because they know that God is with them. I want you to hear this. Sometimes there's levels of God's presence we will only experience in the midnight moments of our lives because God is so close. And so today what I want to do is I want to talk about the power of praise. I want to talk about what praise can do in our life when we choose, just like Paul and Silas, to lift our hands in praise. We're going to jump into some points, but would you turn your neighbor right now and say, come on, we're going to praise God today. Come on, let them know. We're going to praise God today. Here's the first thing that we see praise does, and we see this in this story, is praise changes you. It says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and they were singing hymns to God. Listen, they weren't complaining. They were praising and it changed them. In fact, what they could barely do, they started to do. And I believe they got stronger. And sometimes the best times to worship is when we don't feel like it. When we can't do it. We may not have the choice in what, the, what we're facing, what the circumstance is, what the curveball is, but we do have a choice in how we respond to the things that happen in our life. And I can hear Paul and Silas in this moment with their broken ribs and their beat down. And I can hear Paul say to Silas, Silas, you know what we got to do? And Silas is like, what? He's like, we got to worship. And Silas is like, I can barely even speak. And he's like, it doesn't matter. We got to lift up our hands and we got to praise him. I really believe it changes us in those moments. Why does it? Because whatever you stare at, listen, grows in your heart. Whatever you become or whatever you behold, you actually become. So if you're looking at your problems, your problems are going to overtake you. But in that moment, I believe Paul and Silas chose to look away from the pain, to look away from the agony, and to fix their gaze on the one who was worthy even in that moment. When you look all throughout the Psalms, you see that praise is a big part of people's lives. I love David, and this is especially for all the men in the room. David was a man of praise, but let me tell you, he was a man of war as well. He was one of the hardest warriors in the Bible. In fact, search through all the scriptures, you won't find a warrior like David. But let me tell you, David knew a thing or two about praise. In fact, this is what he knows about how praise changes you. David would say, praise will give you a heart for the battle, he says. In Psalms 34, it says, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. He says, when things are going good, I'm going to praise him. When things are going bad, I'm going to praise him. When I feel like I'm going to praise him, and when I don't feel like, he says, may your praise continually, always, it's going to be coming forth from my lips. And if we stop listening to our feelings and we start listening to our faith, we will find that our praise will bring a solution and a power to our problems. Do you hear that today? We got to let praise lead the way in our life. Too many people are governed, listen, by our feelings. I don't feel like praising God today. You know, I'm not really feeling this song today. The band isn't really on key today. But when you and I start praising God, listen, powerful things happen. David says, I will boast only in the Lord. 
As I begin to praise him, I take the focus off of me. And what happens is I put my focus on God. As I begin to praise him, the power starts to work. As I begin to praise him, the things start to change. The key to life's problems is to praise God. Not only does he give us a heart for the battle when we praise, here's what else David says. He says that it will free you from your fears. He says, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. David says, I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all of my fears. When we magnify something, what are we doing? We're making it bigger, aren't we? We're making it larger. David is telling us, let's make God big. He says, because when God is big, my problems get small. And when my problems are big, then my God looks small. And the question I have for us today is, what do we look at? What are we looking at? Because when we look at God, the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glorious face when we magnify his name. Are you looking at your problems today, the enormity of them, the curveballs, the uncertainties? Are you looking at that or are you choosing to set your gaze and your attention on God? He says he frees me from all of my fears. Not only does he free me from all our fears, here's what else he does. He will give you joy in the midst of trouble. David says those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. The Bible says in your presence, God, there is fullness of joy. When we step into the presence of God, we experience his joy. How do we get into the presence of God? The Old Testament says we enter his gates with thanksgiving and we enter his courts with praise. We walk in in the morning, even when we don't feel like it, and we say, God, I'm choosing to worship you today, not because of anything that you've done, but because of who you are. And when we do that, listen, in your homes, in your workplace, in your cars, when you choose to enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise, you will attract the presence of God in a way like never before. Actually, it will welcome his presence into your life when we approach God this way. Not only does it give us joy in the midst of trouble, here's another thing Psalms 34 says. It's that, sorry, I guess I'm on that point. Did I skip one? No, I did not. It will, thank you. Here's the second thing it does right here. Here's what else praise does for us. Not only does it change us, praise will change your situation. How many know that? Come on, you're helping me preach today. I appreciate that. Let's go. Praise has the power, listen, to release a move of God in your life. Grumbling and complaining can't do those things for you, right? Some of you are in a problem and you're complaining. And let me tell you this, that's not going to change anything in your life. In fact, it could really make it worse. But praise sets a miracle in motion in our life. Anxiety and worry can't do that. Living frustrated can't do that. Fear can't do that. But when you and I begin to praise God, all of the sudden what happens is, is we are releasing the presence of God, the power of God in that situation in a way that's going to dynamically change it altogether. In Acts 16, this is how it goes on. It says this about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. It says, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. Listen, suddenly, out of nowhere, unexpectedly, things changed. Listen, when we praise God, we're introducing a suddenly, we're introducing an out of nowhere, we're introducing an unexpectedly into our situation. Praise has the ability to change our atmospheres. 
And when we praise him, this is what happens. Things begin to shift. Things begin to change. And I truly believe that it's important for us to recognize that God is doing something in our lives in that moment when we choose to praise. In fact, I want you to hear it this way. Your battles are won spiritually before they're won physically. Like you hear that? They're, they're won spiritually before they're won physically. A lot of times we'll say, man, I don't know about that because I'd rather see God do something and I'm going to praise him after the fact. But the truth is this, when you choose to praise and you have that obedience of praise in your life, it releases something in the atmosphere and your situation begins to change. And a lot of times we can get that backward, but we have to praise him before the miracle That's what sets a move of God in motion in our life. That's what brings about the deliverance of God. He's designed it that way. It comes down to this. Seeing is not believing, right? Believing is seeing. And when you're praising God, you're saying, I'm believing you, God, for a move in my life. You think about Paul time and time again. You see this all over the Bible. You see this in David's life. You think about even the walls of Jericho, right? When did the walls of Jericho fall? Was it, was it after the praise or was it before the praise? And you see in that story that it wasn't until they opened up their mouth and they praised and they shouted praise unto God. That's when the walls begin to fall down. You're going to have moments in your life where you're going to have to choose to praise God even in the midst of uncertainty. And David did that time and time again. In fact, we even see this in Philippians He says, rejoice in the Lord always, and I'll say it again. He says, rejoice. Rejoice always, he says, and I'll say it again. And, you know, this is a man who has lived, Paul, has lived this story out. He says, no matter what the circumstance is, I'm going to choose to rejoice in the Lord. Here's the last thing here. This is what praise does. Not only does praise change us, not only does it change our situation, praise will change the world around us. Our praise will affect the world around us. Because listen to this, the other prisoners were listening. This is about midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and they were singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. I want you to know this, your praise not only affects your situation, it affects the people around you, the people that you do life with. That's why it's important for people to hear your praise in the midst of a trial. This is why it's important for people to know you're trusting God when it seems to be midnight. This is why even parents, I'll tell you as a parent, It's so important for you, even in the midst of your own home, to choose to praise God in front of your family. No matter what the situation is, no matter what the trial is, no matter if it's a good day or a bad day, when you begin to praise, people are watching you. In the midst of adversity, in the midst of loss, in the midst of suffering, people are watching you, and they know that your praise is powerful. You know, it says this about the jailer. It says that the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted. He said, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for the lights. He rushed in, and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? You know, I love this right here because how did the jailer even know to ask this question? How did he even know to say that? He was a wrong. He didn't know to be saved. You know why he knew? Because earlier there was a demon girl saying, hey, these men are proclaiming the gospel and they're telling people upon how which to be saved. How many know that what the enemy intends for evil, God turns around and uses for good, amen? And now this jailer uses something that the enemy was intending to inflict these men. Now he uses to say, what must I do to be saved? And he says, Paul replies, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. 
At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole entire family. Our worship has the ability to change the world around us. And how many know, church, that our world is in desperate need of a move of God? Amen. Our world around us, our world in this community right now is in desperate need of a move of God. You know, on February 8th of this year, 2023, there was a revival that sparked by students spontaneously staying in a college auditorium following a regularly scheduled chapel service. Following the gathering, the president of the school sent out a brief two-sentence email. This is what he said. There's worship happening in the auditorium, and you're welcome to join. The news of the worship service spread throughout social media and online news publications. It was attended at its peak every day attended. It was on the news. I mean, you can you could see it. You can find the Asbury Revival on its peak. 15,000 people would come to this small little auditorium. They would stand in lines and cycles. I know many people that got a chance to visit it. By the end, it says that between 70,000 and 100,000 people came to this revival, this move of God. Do you want to know why? Because the world is seeking something greater than what they're experiencing. You know why? Because our worship has the ability to change the atmosphere around us. Listen, you can reason, you can dialogue, you can, you can do all the things you want to do. You can argue, you can fight, and yeah, the reasoning and the fighting and the, and the understanding, that you know, it's going to get you some places. But let me tell you, it'll never get you where worship and praise will get you. Because worship and praise is always pointing to something greater than ourselves. And I want you to know, church, you're a part of church that values the spirit of worship here. Because we know before we do anything else, the Lord's going to go before us. And it's not going to be human reasoning. It's not going to be lights and cameras. It's not going to be anything that we do that's going to draw people to God. God himself and the spirit of God is going to draw people unto him. And worship leads the way. Now, why is it that everyone is so attracted to this? Ecclesiastes says that all of us have an eternity longing for God in our heart. Everybody. Why is it? Here's why. It's because we were made for this. I want you to hear that. Like You were made for this. I was made for this. In fact, before the earth was even created... Before the foundations of the earth were set, before Adam and Eve were even on the scene, there was worship unto God all the time. I mean, there was an angel cherubim that was leading worship unto God all the time. His name was Lucifer. And he's leading worship, and all the angels are joining in, and they're, and they're singing, holy to the Lord. Well, then Lucifer gets full of himself, right? He wants to become greater than God. And Jesus gives an account in the book of Luke. He says, man, I saw Satan fall like lightning. He gives this account of like, man, you can't mess with God because in an instant you're done. And what happens? I mean, there's a vacancy in the role of worship leader now. And the question is, why didn't God put another angel on that spot? Really, the question is, is who is the new worship leader? And the answer is, it's you and me. <laughs> we are the new worship leaders. We get to do something that the angels can't do. 
God has put us in a place on this earth to give praise and worship and adoration to God. And he deserves all the glory and the honor and the praise. Come on, can we give him praise? But now, Jesus, we honor you, Father. And you know, I feel like every time you worship, every time you don't feel like it, every time there's a bad thing happening in your life or a situation that you can't handle, every time your ribs are broken and you're sitting in a cell and you're like, I can't even lift my hands right now. When you choose to do that, God releases something in your life that nothing else could ever do. And I think when we choose to do that, he actually puts our voice on a loudspeaker right in the enemy's ear to hear it. And he says, look what they can do even when they feel like they can't do it. You know, maybe you're in the room today and worship is brand new to you and this is a new thing and maybe you're like, I'm not really sure about raising my hands and doing all those things. That's okay. You know, maybe for you, it's, you know what? I'm gonna start tapping my foot a little bit more. You know, maybe you haven't even stepped into the water of praise and worship. You're more of a cognitive person. You're like, you know, I'm checking this whole church thing out and here's what I would encourage you to do. Just take, just take put your foot in the water. Maybe you're here and you're like, man, I'm ankle deep and I want to I go a little deeper in the things of worship and things of God. When I encourage you, go knee deep. Maybe you're knee deep. You're like, man, I want to go a little further. And you know what? I would say, hey, go waist deep. Maybe you're ready to go all in and jump into the deep end. I want you to know that God is going to lead you at your pace. He's going to lead you at the level of your growth and your maturity. But I want you to know this, church, as we close, as a worshiper, you will never stop growing in your worship. You will never stop growing in your praise. And the greatest time to give God a sacrifice of praise is when you don't feel it at all. Would you stand with me today? I really believe just as we experience in worship today, there's a spirit of worship in this house today. There's a spirit of praise in this house. God knows the things that you're going through. Would you just lift your voice and just begin to thank God? Can we just call out to him right now? No matter what your trial is, no matter what your circumstances, I want you to know greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, that the same power that rise Christ from the dead lives inside of you. God, you deserve all of our praise, God. You deserve all of our glory, God. You deserve all the honor. God, we're going to do what the angels can't do, Father. We're going to replace the worship leader today, God. We're going to give you the highest praise, God. Come on, we lift our hands.